Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to the latest edition of Pirates Talk. This show has and will continue to be mostly focused on Seton Hall basketball. But if you're a Pirate fan, then you love all things blue and white. And that includes the Seton Hall baseball team. So today, thanks to the help of my friend Dave Sirotti, a former member of the Seton Hall Media Relations Department, we're going to talk baseball. Dave wrote a book several years ago entitled The Hitman and the Kid Who Batted Ninth. It details a marvelous time in Seton Hall baseball history when Craig Biggio, Mo Vaughn, and Martise Robinson were slugging the Pirates to wins. Oh, and the kid who batted ninth? He went on to have an 11-year career in the major leagues, the first 10 with the Boston Red Sox, and his final year spent with the New York Mets. Dave suggested that the kid would make for a wonderful interview. And with Dave's assistance, I was able to reach out to John Valentin, a 1996 inductee into the Seton Hall Athletic Hall of Fame, who is my special guest today. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me on Pirates Talk. It is a pleasure. But let me start uh, not so much with where it all began, and, and we'll get to that, you know, St. Anthony's and all that sort of stuff. But there aren't many people that are the subject of a book or one of many subjects in a book. But the point is, you were in Dave Cerrotti's book, The Hitman and the Kid Who Batted Ninth. You are the kid who batted ninth. So what was it like to be part of that and to see it published finally? Well, you know, Dave is a talented writer and um, the SID director at Seton Hall at the time. And to be mentioned in a book with other uh, talented athletes, it was an honor. Um, you know, uh, as a player, you know, you, you go out and you try to uh, perform for your team and uh, to be mentioned individually um, is something special. Uh, so, you know, I really appreciated it at the time and to this day. That team in 1987, uh, Seton Hall had the best of the three that you played on the club. They went 45 and 10. 16 and 2, I believe it was, in the Big East Conference. So you won the regular season conference. Then you went on and won the Big East postseason tournament and advanced to the NCAA South Regional before being eliminated. Talent takes you a long way, but what else made that team special? Um, I think it was the camaraderie. Um, obviously, uh, there, you know, when you're in college, you're spending a lot of time with. Uh, these uh, teammates of yours, uh, you know, uh, going going to class together, um, finishing class and going to practice after going to practice, uh, eating at the dining hall, uh, spending nights together. Um, so it's uh, the camaraderie of college baseball is so big um, as it is in sports in general. Um, these, these guys were not only my teammates, not only my friends, but like my brothers. So it was a very special time. Some of those players, obviously, uh, you among them went on and played in the major leagues. Mo Vaughn did. Craig Biggio is a member of the hall of fame. Uh, Kevin Morton eventually was a first round draft pick of the Boston Red Sox. And, uh, you know, he got a chance to pitch before being derailed by some injuries, et cetera. But who are some of the names on that team that people may not realize were integral parts of the success that you had? And guys that when you get together, you talk a little bit about what they were able to do to contribute to that team's success. 
Well, I can mention the whole team, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, um, playing up the middle with uh, the son of uh, the skipper of our team, uh, John Shepard, um, was uh, a phenomenal friend, uh, teammate. Um, he was a leader. Um, he was a great double play partner up the middle. Um, he uh, uh, obviously, uh, you know, we had such a a great connection um, as far as defense is concerned that it really solidified um, our team up the middle. Um, you can go to center field with Dana Brown. Dana Brown eventually got drafted by uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. He's now a director of scouting assistant general manager with the Atlanta Braves at this point. Um, phenomenal friend. My roommate, he was. Uh, you know, uh, Craig Biggio was the frontline catcher with Jamie Lynch, who was his backup, was also in my quad, which was John Shepard's uh, roommate at the time. Um, you had Jeff Riggs uh, at third base, who um, runs a great facility in Connecticut um, and has done uh, some great things politically over there. Uh, Mo Vaughn coming up, you know, that very next year. But, you know, we had plenty of uh you know, leaders on that team and uh, great, uh, great people that shared, uh, you know, those times together. How often do you stay and how regularly do you stay in contact with some of those guys? Uh, every year, every year um, we uh, we talk, we we, you know, reminisce on the old days as well as, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, hook up, go out to dinner, have a drink here and there. Um, you know, uh, Mike Shepard, Mike Shepard, who was, uh, the head coach at the time. And now his son, Robert is taking over the program, um, has done a great job as far as facilitating, you know, events, uh, to come back for the old timers day. So it's been, uh, it's always special. Well, we will speak about Shep, uh, the icon, the Seton Hall Hall of Famer and, and the great longtime coach who passed away last year. We'll talk about him a little later on because uh, just as I said, an iconic figure in Seton Hall history. But I want to go back to your personal history a little bit. Uh, You played baseball at St. Anthony in Jersey City, but you were born, if my information and research is correct, you were born on Long Island. So when did the family move and when did you become a Jersey guy? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I get that question all the time. Uh, my, my parents, uh, they were in Long Island um, prior to, um, well, actually, I have an older brother who is two years older than I am, and he was born at Nassau Hospital in Long Island. And um, I believe shortly after that, uh, my parents moved to Jersey, Jersey City. And um, we had a lot of family in New Jersey. Uh, They decided to, uh, you know, move closer to family. And my dad was still working in New York. Uh, So, you know, when I was uh, uh, on the way, let's say, um, my my mother wanted to go back to her original doctor. So I was born in Nassau Hospital. I was not living in Long Island at the time. So I was born and born and bred in Jersey City, to be honest with you. Fair enough. But the birth certificate does say Mineola, and I just wanted to clear that up. So what did your dad do? My dad was a, a truck driver. He was an over the 
over the road truck driver. He worked for many uh, prominent um, uh, companies. Uh, the, the one that sticks out the most is Goya Foods. You know, since I have a Hispanic background, um, he was born in Puerto Rico. My my mother was also born in Puerto Rico, and um, you know they came over to uh, New York uh, at the age of 17, 20 years old. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, got together and, um, you know, the rest is history. So uh, he uh, provided for the family and uh, I always felt like I was uh, <laughs> I was a rich uh, little little boy with my brother. We had everything that we could ask for. He sent it. He sent us to uh, Catholic schools, wanted us to be raised um, with uh, a faith and um you know, to this day, you know, it's it's been a wonderful background that I, I would never trade anything in the world for. That's a heartwarming story. Did mom and dad know each other in Puerto Rico or they got to know each other when they both came to America? Actually, my mom is from Hoboken. In oh, OK. Sense. OK. Yes. So my my dad um, was in New York at the time and he used to come. He had, We had a lot of family in Jersey City um, and uh, he met my mother. Uh through Hoboken is not too far from Jersey city It's uh next town over. And, um, he was, uh, he met my mother through friends and, uh, you know, obviously started courting her <laughs> and, uh, you know, things, uh, things turned out to be okay. Yeah, I would say so for sure. And boy, what changes we've seen in Hoboken and Jersey city, boy, those two t- towns have really bounced back. Anyway, let's talk about your brother because he was instrumental in you coming to Seton hall. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, well, you know, playing St. Anthony's, I played basketball and baseball, um, to, uh, you know, uh, St. Anthony's is known for their basketball program. Unfortunately, the school has closed recently. Um, I also played baseball. I was an athlete, uh, throughout my, um, younger days, um, Actually, basketball was my best sport at the time, very, very young. Um, I started to uh, play baseball at the age of 11 and 12. I was a little bit late um, in getting into the sport, but fell um, fell, fell in love with the sport as well. Um, went to St. Michael's in Jersey City. Um, it closed down, and I had to transfer over to St. Anthony's. Um, with many students uh, of the same, you know, uh, of my class. Uh, my, my brother was at St. Michael's the last year. I was a sophomore in St. Michael's. He was a senior. He was the last graduating class of that uh, school and ended up going to Seton Hall, uh, Catholic University, um, closer to the background that we're used to. And, um, you know, as a senior uh, in St. Anthony's, I had really, really, um, many offers to go to school, but not with, um, a whole lot of money, uh, very little money, uh, per se. And I really wanted to, uh, play, uh, close to home and, um, actually felt like if I wasn't going to get a big scholarship, I would follow my brother in, uh, his footsteps to get a good education at Seton Hall. And, um, you know, I eventually wanted to walk on as well. Uh, I believe, uh, you know, uh, Coach Blankmeyer, who was the assistant coach at the time, 
who eventually took over St. John's and now is in the Mets organization as a coach, um, he recruited me. He felt that um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny story. He felt like I was a little bit too small for Seton Hall. So um, to get on that, uh, to get on that program and walk on and to start at shortstop as a freshman was quite an accomplishment and uh, something that I remember. And something you should be very proud of. So how did that come about? Uh, coach doesn't think that you're naturally big enough to play. You're walking on. And by the way, Seton Hall's history in baseball is such that they will give you a chance. Yes, they recruit players and there are scholarship, is scholarship money available. Uh, but if you can play, you can play. And, and they've had a history of having great walk-ons and having great success. But so how does how does that go from a player who is, I, I uh, forgive me if I'm using the wrong term, kind of an afterthought, not sure you can play here, and now you're starting as a freshman? Well, you know, what's interesting when you recruit, um, you don't get to see the player on an everyday basis. You know, you may, you may catch a weekend here or there, and um, uh, he basically came to St. Anthony's to watch a couple of games. He, uh, I may have not played well that day. I may not have gotten a couple of hits or made a couple of plays up the middle. Um, but my coach had seen, uh, my coach at St. Anthony's thought I could play anywhere, actually. Uh, his name is Mike Hogan. Um, and when I decided to walk on, I actually, um, I, if you if the people who know me in a sense uh, understand that I play with a little bit of grittiness, um, you could say. Um, so uh, when they get to when they got to see me play every day or practice every day, they realized that I came with a little bit more intensity um, than the average fellow, and uh, they loved it. And uh, when they saw me play every day, they. Um, I was playing JV, uh, which is junior varsity. We don't necessarily have junior varsity, but since Seton Hall has uh, quite a following and there are a lot of people who um, um, who try out in the fall of their freshman year, they always have, um, how do you say, a B team mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, uh, so we were, there's an A team and there's a B team. We would in a squad with each other. Um, during the fall, I played extremely well as a B team person, as a player and, uh, coach Ed Blankmeyer felt like, uh, you know, he wanted to see how would I would play with the A team. And, uh, when he allowed me to do so, I believe the senior captain was Joe Armini at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I believe he came up with a sore elbow. Because he um, was the incoming shortstop. He was the, he the was incumbent. He was the incumbent. He yeah. was the incumbent. Not shortstop. incoming, incumbent, yes. Yes. And he was a great, he was a very good player, an offensive shortstop. Uh, he hurt, he kind of came up with a sore elbow and um, someone had to play shortstop. So Coach Blankmeyer felt that I was deserving of the opportunity to come up and practice and play with the A team. And um, the rest is pretty much history. He loved the way I played defense. He felt like uh, I made the team better defensively. And Joe Armini became uh, the DH, unfortunately. 
Well, one man uh, has an, uh, an issue, it opens the door, and somebody's got to step through, and you took advantage of it. But your grit, your determination, your hustle, uh, Shep always had hustle as one of the primary words he used because that's what he was all about. So that, that really had to stick with him. You had to be able to play. It wasn't just about those traits. If you didn't have the talent, it was only going to take you so much in his eyes. But, you know, he ha- there had to be something about the combination of how you came in as a walk-on, the fact that you were so determined, you had the glove. It just, you had to become a special player, I would think, in Shep's eyes. Well, um, I, I would I would like to think so. I would like to think that um, I came in with ability, talent, um, but you know you really don't get to see a player unless you see him every day. So I think um, the combination of the intangibles that I had, as far as ability with the grittiness and uh, the hustle, the never lose your hustle mentality that uh, Coach Shepard always preached. Um, was a good combination um, for freshmen um, coming in. Um, and, you know, when you play up the middle and you play defense and you make the pitchers better uh, defensively, uh, you know, the coach is going to want you out there. So um, not to say that Armidi didn't play well defensively because he, was, he wasn't a, a great all-around player, but I think using him as a DH at that time also – was something that we needed. And uh, he stepped in as a captain of the team, as well as a good offensive shortstop. And I just took over the other half, which was uh, the defensive part of uh, that equation. And, uh, you know, I was proud to do it. I ended up hitting 327 that year um, as a freshman. And we were on our way to being a solid, solid ball club. An exciting time for Seton Hall as uh, we spend a few moments with uh, John Valentin, who is a member of the Seton Hall Hall of Fame and played in the major leagues for 11 years, 10 with Boston, one with the New York Mets. What was Shep like? I'm sorry? What was Mike Shepard like? What was Shep like? Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, uh to really be honest with you, he was a great family man. Um, he brought uh, family uh, virtues uh, to the ball club. Um, he wanted you to be a team member first. Uh, he always talked about um, the name on the jersey in the front of the jersey, not the name on the back of the jersey. He was all about family, and uh, he really um, pushed his uh, his student-athletes to try to become the best players that they can be, but also um, to be great students. He took a lot of pride in his, uh, in his pushing to graduate. You know, um, that's something that he always talked about. Uh, Was he tough? Yes, definitely tough military background. Um, A person, a person that was, um, uh, a father figure, uh, definitely for many of the students. Did he, uh, did he push you? Absolutely. Did he yell at you? Absolutely. But he always meant well. And, um, you know, he was the kind of guy who made you or he broke you. And, um, you know, if you were willing to stick it out and, uh, be a good player and do the things that you were supposed to do, 
uh, you were going to benefit from it. A so he was a great coach. He was uh, a former Marine. I had the privilege of announcing for WSOU uh, several Seton Hall baseball games during my time, well before you. Billy Ritwager was a classmate of mine, a former infielder for the Pirates, just that kind of era, John Semerad, and on and on and on. But Shep was tough. I mean, but in a good way. He had your best interests at heart. He had the program's best interests at heart. And as you said, uh, a family-type atmosphere, so much so that his wife is in the Hall of Fame, too. I don't know if too many schools have a situation like that, but uh, Mrs. Shepard Phyllis did so much for the school, and uh, she's in the Hall of Fame, too. So a wonderful family, and uh, their children are still involved in the sport. And, you know, Eddie Blankmeyer's a son-in-law. It's on and on and on. Uh, the Shepard family is just awesome. So you actually moved John Shepard to a new position, though, didn't you? Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny that you say that, but no, I don't think so. Um, I just think that, um, well, was he uh, not a shortstop Shep- coming back? Yeah, he was, he was, he was the Seton Hall prep shortstop. Um, I believe he got a scholarship to go to North Carolina mm-hmm. to be a, to be a Tar Heel. Um, he ended up coming back to Seton Hall, um, as a sophomore, and uh, I don't know what happened in North Carolina, but um, I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, he was a really good shortstop, an offensive a switch hitting uh, player. Uh, I think when I came in um, as a freshman and proved that I could play the position, um, they were willing to, uh, you know, they were willing to move him over um, and we were willing to mesh together as a, as you know, and he was a year older than I was. Uh, he was, uh, a sophomore, uh, the position that he played second base made the team better, uh, to have us both out there. I, I had never played, I had never played second, although I think I could have had the, I had the versatility to do so, but they moved him to second. And, um, I was the, I was going to be playing shortstop. I, I didn't do anything but listen <laughs> at that time. <laughs> That's the best thing a young player can do. So 1987, as I mentioned, that was the great year. You go to the NCAA regionals, uh, 45 and 10 overall. What do you remember about that year? <laughs> well, um, I, I remember not losing that much. Uh, we, we played. We had a great team. Um, it was a, a special, a special time. Uh, I, I always felt like, uh, you know, we had a chance to win every day. We had Craig Biggio. We had Martise Robinson. Um, we had Mo Vaughn. We had so many talented players. We had Richie Scheid, who got drafted by the Yankees. Uh, we we just really meshed. Um, obviously, you know, as a East Coast team like Rutgers, St. John's, uh, Connecticut, uh, Providence, uh, in the Big East, you tend to um, have a schedule uh, that challenges you. And us, and we at Seton Hall always used to go down south to play Miami and and North Carolina and uh, Central Florida. I mean, all these teams that it really challenges challenged us to uh, come back and uh, you know try to. Uh, hang with the big boys, let's say. Um, and we were able to do so. Uh, we are an East coast team that basically, you know, when we came back in March and and April and we played, it was still, 
you know, you're talking about, you know, 50, 60, low 60 degree temperature. Uh, we, uh, we had to play in that type of atmosphere. So, um, you know, you know, being an East coast player is, uh, something special. A lot of scouts, um, uh, love to, uh, to draft players like that. They seem to have a chip on their shoulder. They seem to understand what adversity is being resilient. Um, you know, n- knowing how to win and, and finding a way, a way to win, you know, coach Shepard was that type of a coach. He didn't really care what the weather was. Uh, he really, uh, you know, was the leader of our team. And, you know, as, uh, as as players that that play for a coach like that, you you become a player like the manager and or like the coach, and you uh, you you basically play and and develop his type of traits, and you, you go out there and you compete, and that's what's so great about you know um, having that opportunity. Did you guys know you were going to have a good year? Did you have a sense early on, like, hey, we've got talent and it can all come together? I think we felt that way all the time. Um, but as we kept playing and started to win, you start to believe even more so. And as you start to win and you start to size up the talent that you're playing against, you tend to feel that you do have an edge. Um, so yes, you know, it's something that developed. I don't think it was something that we came into the beginning of the year and said, okay, we're going to, um, be uh, 45 and 10. I, I, I didn't think we uh, we thought that at all. Just a great year. It's amazing how time has flown. Did you realize that, and, and, and you know, both Craig and Mo got drafted. You did as well. You were drafted in the fifth round. You talked about some of your other teammates who got drafted. But for those two in particular, because I guess, uh, you know, when people look at that team, and there were a lot of successful guys, but Biggio's in the Hall of Fame, and, and Mo Vaughn just had this kind of big outgoing personality. And listen, you were double digits in years in the major leagues. No no complaints there. But what were those two guys like? Did, did you look at them and go, they got the it factor? Like, were, were they similar in college the way they were in the pros in terms of leadership and ability and their personality, et cetera? Um, I think each guy was different um, in their own way. Um, if if I could break it down to you, uh, you know, Biggio was behind the plate. He was uh, a gritty, gritty, gritty uh, catcher. Um, he was an all-round player. He was a catcher who stole bases. So I think um, that brought him to the forefront to be a number one pick. He not only was a good hitter or defensive player he blocked uh terrifically at, at, at the catching position he stole bases not many catchers could steal bases so he was definitely uh, going to be a high draft pick uh we knew that he would probably probably be a number one uh, another guy that's in the book is martise robinson who is uh was the was a fantastic college uh, player and should have been a number one draft pick. We don't know why he wasn't a number one draft pick, uh, but he was a fantastic player. He played first base for us. He hit over 500. Uh, yeah, he hit, I believe he hit 517. He shared the, the Golden Spikes Award with Robin Ventura, uh, I believe. Um, but he was probably, um, if not... Uh, 
if not the best player on our team, him and Biggio were one and two, no question. You know, as far as Mo Vaughn is concerned, uh, Mo came in, you know, as a uh, a freshman who, you know, we knew that he could hit and um, was uh, an outgoing personality, funny. Um, but he had to follow, you know, the footsteps of Martise Robinson, which was not easy to do. And uh, but when he when he stepped into the box, you knew he was going to hit the ball hard and it was going to go pretty far. So, uh, you know, he I believe he set the record as a freshman hitting 20 uh, something home runs um, for the team that has never been done. He probably still holds the record. Why, why do you think Martise was not drafted in that first round? Well, you know, um it's it's interesting he got drafted by Oakland mm-hmm. and and um Mark McGuire was uh you know obviously not going anywhere so usually when when teams when teams uh pick they usually pick the the best athlete at the time and maybe they didn't think that he would be a a first baseman who would hit home runs he wasn't the quite the home run hitter in a sense, he did hit some home runs, but he was more gap to gap and he hit the ball and, and, and all he did was get hits. He stole bases. So, um, maybe they didn't think he was going to be a, uh, a prominent first baseman. Um, actually what happened, uh, when he did get drafted, they moved his position. They moved him to the outfield, I believe, um, was his first transition and then uh, moved him to second base. And that's where he hurt himself. Um, I believe in double A, he had broken his ankle. And um, uh, I think he came back too soon and was, uh, you know, had a difficult time at that point. And and that was, uh, you know, I I guess that was the writing on the wall. I don't know for sure, but that's the story that I know. Do you know what he's up to these days? Um, I believe he um, was a, a Arizona police officer. Okay. And I believe I believe he is uh, on the East Coast um, working as an investigator in uh, in Newark. To be honest with you. Okay, so he's come back home. Uh, last couple of questions, and we appreciate your time. But you know, we spent so much time about Seton Hall. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your wonderful career with the Boston Red Sox. I mentioned it earlier. It ended with the New York Mets, but. Uh, what do you remember about your major league debut? Do you remember the date? If you don't, I can give it to you. I'm guessing you do, but no, I do. Um, it's July 27th, um, playing against Texas. Uh, Kevin Brown's on the mound. Um, I actually went 0 for 3. Uh, ended up uh, getting a base hit in my fourth at bat to uh, have the winning go-ahead run. I believe we won seven to five. I believe. Um, so that was a pretty exciting time uh, for me. I had a a good uh, major league uh, manager at the time with Butch Hobson. He was my double-A manager at the time, my triple-A manager. Uh, I almost made the team uh, the, the year prior in spring training. I had a great spring training, uh, but was sent down to triple-A uh, for more seasoning. And... Uh, I was having great, uh, great AAA season in 92 and, uh, the team, the Red Sox were not particularly doing that well. 
Um, so uh, they ended up uh, bringing me up a little bit early before uh, the September call-up. So I was able to uh, get a little bit more experience before the September call-up and ended up staying. So that was a, a great uh, a great year for me. Oh, I'm sure. And I would have been shocked if you didn't remember the date. I mean, who doesn't recall the time they make their professional debut, their major league debut? Uh, three years later, you finish ninth in the MVP voting, 1995. The Red Sox win a division title, so they're no longer a, a struggling team. You hit just below 300 at 298, 27 homers, 102 runs batted in, and you stole 20 bases. And now you're firmly positioned uh, as their shortstop. Eventually you moved, uh, you know, Nomar Garcia Parra comes up. But my point is, what's it like to be a star in Boston when Boston is good? Well, I wouldn't say I was a star, but um, I would say uh, it, it was very, very nice to be uh, entrenched in, in the position for the time being. Um, you know, the, the best thing about being an athlete, an athlete is trying to get at the highest level. And that is something that you never forget. You know, you work hard through your college, college days and your minor league, um, transitions through a ball, double a and triple a, uh, always fighting, always fighting to try to get to that next level. And when it finally happens, it's, uh, it's a, a very, very, uh, sigh of relief. Um, it's a fantastic feeling, but most importantly, you know, getting there is not, um, the issue is staying there. Mm -hmm. Um, so being able to, uh, continue to work hard and, uh, you know, try to compete with the peers at that level and the talent at that level and to uh, be able to sustain, uh, a career over a, a 10 year period, 11 year period, if I didn't get hurt, I probably would have played till fifth, you know, at least fifteen years. But um, very proud of the eleven-year career that I had. As you should be. Injuries at the end did shorten the time uh, that you spent in the major league. So, do you ever sit back and think about the path you've traveled? Smaller, skinnier kid in high school that they're not sure that you can play Division One baseball. Then you walk on and you're on the team as a freshman and then you get drafted in the fifth round and then you spend 11 years in the pros. Have you ever thought, or not in the pros because double A is pros, but 11 years in the major leagues. Do, do you ever look back at the path and think about it? Um. Uh, well, you know, um, obviously very proud of, you know, what you have accomplished. Uh, but it, it's something that, um, um, uh, yeah, you definitely look back. You're proud of it. Uh, it's something that you, 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 you tried to do and something that you wanted to do. So do I look back and pat myself on the back? No, not really, <laughs> not really, but I am proud of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I try to, um, if anything, pass my knowledge along um, and try to help kids today, try to focus on, you know, what the task at hand is, and that is to be a good teammate and to work on your craft uh, as best as you could and be a good person, uh, make quality decisions and, um, you know, work hard always work hard because you know you're not going to go anywhere unless you 
uh, you, you put the work ethic in. You you, know? You've got to have that. Last couple, and we will let you go. Time went a little longer than I thought, but the insights have been terrific. You went back and got your degree, didn't you? Actually, I'm just shy. A few classes. Oh, okay, I knew you went back to school. I wasn't sure if you had finished. I did. Up. I did go back to school. I did go back to school, but I am shy of uh, my uh, my diploma. But uh, it, it's something that I can get at any moment. Um, I don't really feel like I need a diploma at this point in my career or my life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's always great to have it, and um, you know, I. For students of today, I really uh, believe that they should get it, you know, so um, it, it's just been a, a wonderful ride to this point. And uh, whatever I can contribute to the younger generation at this point, um, I will try to do so. What are you doing now? Actually, um, I am uh, working for a financial company, um, which is uh, kind of fell on my lap um, in a sense. Um, I. Uh, I am a director of talent acquisition for uh, Northeast Financial Network. It's a financial services company, which, uh, you know, they have uh, understandably, uh, you know, recognized my uh, my talent and, you know, my past and my credentials. Uh, they wanted me to come on board as uh, a liaison to basically try to recruit athletes who are um, resilient, tough-minded, um, you know, want to get into the financial industry as well as, uh, you know, be able to, uh, you know, stand on their own and uh, develop, a, uh, you know, a network to uh, to enhance uh, individuals, families, athletes, businesses, uh, you know, and advise them in their financial services uh, part of their career. Sounds like a very fulfilling role that you're serving. So finally, what did your time mean at Seton Hall to you? And what do you think about when Seton Hall comes to mind? Well, you know, I think of uh, a great institution uh, of, um, um, of developing students um, from an athletic side to an academic side. Uh, obviously, you know, being part of such an institution is very, very special. Um, Seton Hall is a, a prominent figure on the East Coast, and um, they had a great basketball team this year that unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, could not show it on a big stage. But you know, they have accomplished many things over the, you know, the career of its span. And uh, it is a special place. Uh, I'm glad I've been a part of it. I'm glad I'm part of the Hall of Fame there. And, you know, anyone who's listening, uh, if they ha have a choice to visit the school, it would, be, uh, it would be a great thing to do and realize what a great uh, atmosphere and camaraderie type of family institution it is. John Valentin, thank you so very much for your time. It did go a little longer than I anticipated, but the conversation was good, and I do appreciate having a chance to speak with you today. Thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. Thanks for having me, and I, um, I'll do it again. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Special thanks to Pat Christensen for his editing magic and for creating the theme to Pirates Talk. And thank you so much for your company. Until next time, be well, be safe, and let's go Pirates.